0: Good morning. My name is John Smetanka, and the name of our program is, With Respect, This morning's guest on With Respect is Peter Ferry. Peter is a bilocated person. He lives in both of uh, Instant, Illinois, and he lives also in uh, southwestern Michigan. He's an author. He's written a book called Old Heart. And we'll be fascinated to talk about where the idea came from and the uh, motivation. But, as, but right now i want to talk about his writing. With respect, Peter Ferry. So Peter, how are you this morning? I'm
1: fine, John. Thank you.
0: Good, good. So, Peter, where are you from originally? I I mentioned that you're living here, living in uh, southwestern Michigan, but also in Chicago, or the Chicago area. But where'd you come from originally?
1: I'm from, uh, I grew up in Parkersburg, West Virginia. And uh, I moved to Chicago when I was a senior in high school, and have been there more or less ever since. Mm -hmm. Although I spent a year living in Mexico trying to be a writer a long time ago, and I spent a year living in the Netherlands as an exchange teacher, which is reflected in in the book. In the book, yeah, about half of it is set in the Netherlands. But um, I taught for 27 years at Lake Forest High School. I'm an English teacher, high school English teacher, and um, and now I'm retired. And my wife and I spend. She's a lawyer by the way. Oh yes, no. Oh no, not enough. Not too many of them. <laughs> and we uh spend about half the year up here. Uh, we we know each other from here. Okay. Because uh we we live in a a little uh summer community mm-hmm. that shuts down for 6 months of the year. Yeah. And her family and mine have been friends forever. Good. And uh that's our connection.
0: Good. Well, where are you from originally, originally is, is Parkersburg, but what kind of a family did you have? Father, mother, kids, brothers, sisters?
1: The the uh, the nuclear dream. Okay. Uh, my dad was a Presbyterian minister, and my mom was a Presbyterian minister's wife. Okay. I have one brother, and he still lives there.
0: Is he a Presbyterian minister? No, no. <laughs>
1: we're, we're both black sheep, I'm oh, afraid.
0: Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, oh. <laughs> now I really want to know about your background. Yeah, well. But... Yeah. Um, in addition your family heritage is uh, is also in uh, Presbyterian uh, ministries correct-huh
1: yeah, yeah um actually my grandfather his father and his fa- I, John and I broke four generations of Presbyterian ministers and we're so darn Presbyterian that <laughs> I after how many generations five or six generations in the United States i'm still a hundred percent Scottish which is kind of we we've we failed the melting pot. I'm afraid. although uh, now now my generation is. Different.
0: Well, you know it's interesting because in uh, in our family, um, my brother and I are half Irish and half Polish background.
1: I was wondering about your name.
0: You yes, know. and it's a Polish uh, background, uh, my dad's side, <clears throat> and then it's on my mom's side. It's Irish. They both both uh, families have been in this country since oh, the 1840s 50s. However, until nineteen, until the the, the uh, depression and the uh, World War II period, each one of their families almost exclusively married within the Polish or Irish communities, and then in that that magic period of the war and the and depression, uh, everybody married in a different ethnic group.
1: Yeah, that's even part of my story. Mm-hmm. That's because, right. Yeah. The the main character grows up in northern Illinois in a small uh, German American farming community and uh, uh, has very little experience outside of it until he goes to war. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it is the 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 characters in your book are fascinating, but I want to get behind that first. And, and, and your the tracking your life. You you started off as what 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 when you went to high school. What did, what were your interests in? High school
1: well uh, I was a humanities kid, always interested in in uh, acting and speaking um, and um you know in tenth grade a, a teacher asked if uh, if she could enter a story I'd written in a contest, and I thought, hmm, you know I began to think of myself in terms of writing and then mm-hmm. I went on to to college and i uh, uh had a couple great professors and became an English major and ended up uh, going to Northwestern and, and getting a master's in, in English literature. And well, that's now, what I taught.
0: So, but but uh,
1: did you go to undergrad at Northwestern? No, I went to Ohio University in Athens, Ohio.
0: Okay, and, and high school was in? In
1: West Virginia. West Virginia. Although my senior year, I graduated from Von Steuben High School in Chicago.
0: All right. So... Did you go straight into writing?
1: Well, uh, I didn't, because I didn't want to go straight into Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, uh, at the last moment, when I had a low draft lottery number, mm-hmm. in the spring of 1968, I took a bunch of education courses and I started teaching, because they were still giving draft deferments. deferments for teachers, At That's that right. time, and... Um, and I, I, I didn't intend to be a teacher. Uh, I thought maybe I would, you know, get a Ph.D. and teach, but I certainly didn't think I was going to end up teaching uh, junior high school as I did at first, and high school as I did for my whole life. But um, so as soon as I was 26 and I was no longer eligible for the draft, I quit and I went to Mexico and you know to be a writer
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and
1: uh, you know had very mo- modest success, but learned the trade as it were. And then I, I came back and um, worked for a publishing house, Rand McNally mm-hmm. in Skokie for five years and woke up one day and realized the only thing I ever thought was really worthwhile that I had done was teaching. So I went out and tried to get a teaching job. I mean, I, I spent a summer uh, shopping for a teaching job, and I found one at Lake Forest High School, and I stayed there my whole career, and I loved every minute of it. How many years did you teach? Well, I taught a total of 33, about 27 at Lake Forest.
0: Just teaching English?
1: No. uh, Initially, I had a self-contained junior high school classroom in which I taught everything Mm -hmm. um, at uh, seventh, seventh grade level. And then I taught in a special school for emotionally disturbed kids called Allendale School in Lakeville, Illinois. I taught there for three years, and that was jack-of-all-trade kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I, I went to Lake Forest, I, then I w- was exclusively an English teacher.
0: So you, you mentioned that you got married. When, when was that?
1: Oh, uh, John, I, I'm sad to say I've been married three times. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But, but that uh, gives you
0: experience. Yeah, oh, yeah, it does. it does.
1: And that shows up in the book, uh-huh. as you can tell. I know. I've been married 16 years to Carolyn O'Connor Ferry, who is, uh, I finally got it right. She's the world's most wonderful person.
0: That's good. That's excellent. Children?
1: I have three children. I have a son named Asa, who lives in California, and he's 38 years old. I have a, a daughter named uh, Lizzie who's a social worker, LCSW in Chicago. She's 29 years old. And a son named Griffin, who's a law student at the University of Minnesota. He's another one.
0: Oh, yeah, I was going to say, stop it. 20. Stop it. <laughs> you know, tell, him, tell him to go into philosophy or yeah. something.
1: Well, he kind of has, because he's studying international law. Oh, okay. So right at the moment, I'm, I like to brag about him. He's, in, he's at the, I'll get the exact title wrong, but it's the International Court of Justice for Rwanda, uh-huh. In Arusha, Tanzania, he's doing an internship there, and then mm-hmm. going on to study in France for the first semester. So, he's doing exciting stuff.
0: Well, that'll give him a, a great, uh, a great background in in the world of tomorrow, as well as the world of today. I
1: think so. Yeah. And
0: uh, a friend of mine, who is um, uh, was one of my former assistants, became a judge here later, uh, later after that, and then retired and became a judge for the United Nations uh, he was a war crimes judge in uh, Kosovo oh wow and in one other city there that uh, where he used that was his work uh, for a good period of time after his retirement it has given him a broad perspective on the world and on those problems that we're gonna have from now on yeah. guess uh, that we maybe in the past tried to ignore now we can't ignore anymore right and att- attaching criminal responsibility to people who are sponsors of mass killings yeah. or genocides is something that is a, a special uh, gift and a special thing we need to be paying attention to.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: And Rwanda was one of those phenomenal, awful events that, that people have to now pay attention to and didn't so much when it was happening. Yeah, he told
1: massacre. me the other day that, that he was writing a brief. He'd been asked to write a brief for um, um, a military guy, Rwandan guy, who'd been accused of killing 63 people, maybe more than accused, and they were seeking his release from prison because he's dying. And, mm. and Griffin's job was to write the brief, uh, making that uh, petition case. and yeah. making that case. And he said... That, it was very hard. I mean, how do you plead in favor of someone who's been a mass murderer? But it, it,
0: it is people ever since I started in being in law school and then all the way through my career.
1: Where did you go to law school? I went to
0: John Marshall Law School oh, in Chicago. Absolutely. But all during that time, whether it was people I dated or, or people I came in contact with, cocktail parties, whatever, one of the first questions they ask is how can you defend yeah. a guilty person? Yeah, And you start off with trying to figure it out for yourself. And then you realize that everybody has a right on, as a human being to fairness. And fairness doesn't mean that you can do anything you want. It means that when you do things, Whatever your behavior is, if it goes against the the laws of humanity or the laws of your society, fairness means you get held to account, but in a fair way, in a just way. So uh, your son is, um, I'm sorry, your son son has, has gone and taken the step into that area. Where he's gonna, he's struggling with it himself right now, and later, later on in life he'll have to make a decision whether it's something he can do. there There's some people who cannot do that and Is they that right? leave yeah. It. Oh yeah there's some people who cannot do it one way or the other they can't be prosecutors, they can't be uh, defense attorneys, mm-hmm. they can't be this, they can't be that, and so they make a choice early in or later in their career that they need to make to do those things which they are ca- <clears throat> capable of doing yeah. So, but that's not you. See, on my side of the the table, um, my brother and I tried to escape from the DNA uh, failing uh, in our family of becoming lawyers. uh, And we failed. Um, My daughter is now on the edge. She's not a lawyer, but she's doing some, some work with courts. But it is a... I've always wondered why it is that a person chooses a particular area and concentrates as opposed to others. And sometimes we talk about it as tradition in the family. Sometimes it's opportunity, sometimes it's all right, sometimes it's getting out of the draft. Uh-huh. Uh, sometimes it's whatever it is. And at that point, life kicks in. And people take a zig or a zag, and they're on their way to becoming what they are eventually going to be. Hopefully, as my mother used to say, uh, the person is blessed whose hobby is his work and whose work is her hobby.
1: Absolutely. So. That's how I felt about teaching. I I never looked at a clock in mm -hmm. 33 years and thought. Oh, boy, there are two more hours in this day. I always looked and said, oh, I only have two more hours. I've got a lot to do.
0: Mm-hmm. We're going to take a break right now. We're talking to Peter Ferry, who is the author of the book Old Heart. And I'm, I'm looking at him across the table. and I don't think he's got an old heart, and I don't feel that I have an old heart, but it's a fascinating book, and I'm, we're going to be talking about it in a minute. This is John Smitanka and the name of our program is With Respect, and we'll be right back. We're now back on With Respect with Peter Ferry, who's the author of the book, Old Heart. This is John Smotanka, and it is the program With Respect. So, Peter, whenever I read a book for an author or for a show, or when I read it in private, just for my own enjoyment, I always try to figure out what there, there's several levels there's first of all how the book is written and that's what hits you when you open the first page the famous thing is always that first line catches people's attention um, my name is uh, ishmael or call me ishmael, right, call and, me ishmael. And from uh, Moby Dick and so on
1: best of times the worst of times the best
0: of times and the worst of times dickens uh, tale of two cities but. So that's the first thing. It's the style. It's the it's the how you grab the, the reader. And then it becomes can you keep the reader's attention? And then there is floating right in there quickly is if you really get you grab that audience, you want them to know why you wrote the book. Who are you? Now they only can find who you, who you are through reading the book. So I always ask authors, is this you? Is this book you? Or what part of this book is you? Because the old adage is, always write about what you know the best.
1: Yeah. Um, the, the, the narrator, the voice you hear, is the granddaughter of the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, I have a lot in common with both Nora and... Uh, and with Tom Johnson, the main character, but I'm a s- step farther back,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and my interests in 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 uh, the subject matter are partly because I'm uh, retired. I'm 68 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm aging. Mm-hmm. The book is about um, that to some extent. It's also about relationships within families, mm-hmm. uh, how you get along with your kids and and it's about a failed marriage Mm -hmm. of which i've had Mm -hmm. two. uh and uh so yeah i mean you you write from what you know and that's the stuff i know
0: well let's stop and let's give a, a we don't i don't like to give away plots where beyond what the author wants to do but trace the basic outlines of this book would you
1: yeah tom johnson is 85 years old uh And he spent his life uh, in an unhappy marriage uh, that stayed together and taking care of a son who had Down Syndrome. Um, And uh, suddenly he finds himself uh, free or at loose ends, depending on how you look at it. And um, and his two surviving children want him to go into a retirement home and they're putting pressure on him and he just decides he doesn't want to so uh he runs away instead, and he goes back to uh the Netherlands, where he had been a soldier during the second war during World War two to try to find you know the the only woman he ever loved mm-hmm. kind of thing and uh that's the that's the basis of of the story uh, and um you know he finds uh things he doesn't expect to find mm mm-hmm. And has experiences. But, for, you know, for, for Tom, uh, th- there's a point at which he, he asks himself, what, are, what am I going to do with the rest of my life now that my wife is, is gone and my son is gone and the dog is dead, you know. And he doesn't know the answer to that. But then he says, he asks the next question, which is, do I do something or do I do nothing? And then the answer is easy. He's going to do something. And, and that's the basis of the story. It's really a story uh, about living.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's it was interesting. I read a book uh, recently, and I can't remember the full title because it goes on forever and ever. The title does. Uh, the hundred-year-old man who went out the window, uh-huh. and escaped. It was written by a Swedish author, and made into a movie over in Sweden, which turns out to be apparently one of the, the uh... most popular movies ever made in in uh, Sweden. Huh. I'm t- I'm told. But it's about a 100-year-old man. We're not, you know, you think that's a joke, but he's 100 years old and he gets, he's been living in a retirement home and one day he decides, I'm out of here. Let's get out of here. And he literally does and runs away. And he has fascinating adventures along the way. It's not a, a book of drama. It's a book of comedy. Yeah. But the parallel coming from the idea of getting old and contemplating your your age and death, approaching death. Absolutely. On the other hand, at the other side is reflecting on what you've done mm-hmm. or what has happened to you during your life. Those are things that everybody who atta- attains a certain age, and maybe it's only 25 or 30, sometimes people's attention uh, is brought to just these issues, because they've been diagnosed with cancer or right. they've been diagnosed with something you know that is uh, you're in they're in the war or, or something like that. So this idea of reflection on where you've been and what you've done is really a common theme for humanity.
1: Absolutely. My wife had uh, ovarian cancer 3 years ago. And you know that brings you face to face. She's she's fully recovered, she's cancer-free. But uh, we stared it in the face, you know? And, and you think a lot about both life and death in that situation when the person you love most is ill. And
0: Yeah, and, and one of the things that I find fascinating in talking to people, not just on this program, but in life, uh, friends who want to just talk about their lives, where they've been, what they're doing. One of the things that is is uh, common to 90% of the people that I talk to in those kinds of conversations is you know, I wonder if I had gone in a different direction. Oh sure. And this is part of reflection, and part, and then the other part is, can you come to a point where there is acceptance or a change uh, directed towards where you were originally going? Yep. And it seems that this character, this Tom, did both all of that. He ref- he had. He is confronted with death. His wife had cancer and died. And he also had children. He was like the man from Sweden. uh, He was being aimed towards retirement home. And he just took that big step.
1: Yeah, um, I think that's very true. Um, And it, it was a big step and a dangerous step and a troubling step to his family and his children who want him to be safe and but a necessary step for him because it meant that he's going to go on living. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, Many years ago when I was thirty years old living in Rogers Park in Chicago uh, the, one of the epigrams in my book is from a, a woman named Athene Magruder and she uh, hung out in, uh, didn't hang out. I hung out in a bar mm-hmm. in Rogers Park, and she would come in every afternoon and meet two old friends of hers, and they'd have one little, about three o'clock, they'd have one little Manhattan, mm-hmm. and then go home. She was eighty-five, not coincidental that my character is eighty-five. And uh, one day I came around the corner one January day, and she was stuck on a patch of ice in on her walker. She was just kind of frozen there, and I helped her in. And she insisted on buying me a cup of coffee or something. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at my watch, and I'm in a hurry, and she's just an old lady. Although I'd always been kind of amused by her. And and she looked at me, and she said, y- you probably think I was always old, don't you? Well, I wasn't. <laughs> and I began, to, and then we, we ended up sitting with her for quite a while, and we became friends. And she told me her life story, which was a very exciting life story. And I, I realized as I was looking at her that she was you know she she was she had these beautiful eyes and high cheekbones and i began to see her as a human being who'd gone down to the texas oil fields when she was young and married a guy and gone dancing every friday night and ended up uh, raising two boys and her husband died and she she was back to the common theme she was a manager of a law office mm. in chicago until she was 75 years old and all of a sudden this this person who you know, she just said, I hate being old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so we became friends. And uh, 15 years later, I had a phone call out of the blue. Uh, someone said, I, you don't know me, but you're a friend of my, my aunt's, my great aunt's, Athene Magruder. And um, she's celebrating her 100th birthday. Uh, she's living with me in Florida and we, we found your name in her address book and we've asked all her friends to record a memory to mm-hmm. write a little something mm-hmm. and so I did I told the story I just told you mm-hmm. and then the, my phone rang a while later and it's Athene, still clear headed and saying oh I can't believe I ever said that to you That, <laughs> you <know. laughs> but uh, she was one inspiration my mother was another my mother died at 94, about six years ago. And she, um, she just embraced life. When she knew, she had a heart condition, like my character. She knew that uh, she had a couple years to live. Her attitude was not to feel sorry for herself and not to seek refuge in, in religion or anything like that. Her, her attitude was, well, then I better enjoy every day I have left. <laughs> we brought her up here one summer to our summer home and we argued over, and, oh, can she make the trip because she was living in Marriott, Ohio. And, uh, you know, well, we'll bring her up for the 4th of July weekend. We'll, we'll, we'll do that much, because she was pretty feeble at that time, had to be helped with everything. And she stayed six weeks. That was the best time we ever had with her. Mm-hmm. And, and she was just, uh, she'd wake up every day and say, look at this day, oh, look at mm-hmm. this day. And then she'd, you know, you'd make her a little grilled che- cheese sandwich for lunch. And she'd take a bite, and she'd say, "Oh, Peter, you you have to taste this. This is the oh, this is the best. Question. You have to have some." <laughs> and she just—I mean—all um, through my life, she taught me a lot about living. Although well, we had conflicts, but in the end, she taught me how to die. And I just hope I have the guts to die, like her, like her, and like my character, who's really, you know, well, out. we're not
0: going to come to the end of the story and tell the, the people how this ends because it's a good ending. It's a good ending. Oh, yeah? Good. I, like, I liked I like it. it. I liked the ending. Uh, it is... They, there is a, 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 a program of Hollywood personalities and whatnot. They were making a presentation to a group of congressmen about uh, their work. And my brother happened to be there. And one of the actors, uh, I believe it was Denzel Washington, spoke to the group. And he was reflecting on the fact that he was being criticized, or or American movies were being criticized for having the happy ending, the American ending, where something right. it all gets resolved at the end. It's uh, not, if you wish, uh, Jean Paul Sartre or or Camus or one of the the existentialists, and the world is just it's. Not good, and it ends up not good. It was never good to begin with. There's a few little happy spots, and then it ends, blah. Mm-hmm. But this, there's a lot of resolution in your book, and that I, I enjoyed. Regardless of the, the data points in the resolution, it, was important, it seems to me important in a book to provide resolution, to tie it all together, and you did. You did a nice job of that. Good. But we won't say how it turned out. Okay. <laughs> but it's that is it's a worthwhile book from what I just said, which is a lot of things happen. A lot of different people go through this person's life. This person, Tom, has ups and downs, makes the ordinary um, number of good and bad decisions, and yet it's all tied together. And I think that that is something which... Everybody struggles, as you get older, or you come through that crisis time, even if you're younger. Struggling to tie it all together is something that is common to humanity.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned, um, you know, thinking about what you might have done with your life Mm -hmm. that you didn't do. That's really the, that's the the theme of of Frost's great poem, The Road Not Taken. Yes, yes. which, Which everyone reads as The Road Taken. But it's not. It's the road you didn't take, the girl right. you didn't marry, the job you didn't, the that's right. Take, you know, the thing you didn't do, and we all have them. Every one of us, those things. No matter how happy we are, no matter how successful we are, no matter how uh, smug we are about our lives, we have those things. What if I had done this? What if I had done that? Yeah. How would my life be different? It's oh, a yeah. totally human thing.
0: We're going to take a break right now. We're talking to Peter Ferry, the author of a fascinating book that I've uh, read called Old Heart. He is, uh, by the way, going to be doing a book signing, I believe, in uh, the next few days. uh, Uh, August 7th. uh, August 7th, 17th, at the uh, Forever Bookstore in St. Joe. If you get a chance, stop by and see it.
1: I believe it's at 6 o'clock.
0: At 6 o'clock. This is John We're run with respect, and we'll be right back. We're now back on With Respect with Peter Ferry, the author of the book Old Heart, which reflects on uh, the life of a person as seen from not only himself, but from his daughter, niece, and as the granddaughter. granddaughter, I'm sorry, granddaughter. And, uh, And how we all can empathize, not sympathize, but empathize with this fellow who is trying to figure out how. He can make sense of it all. Well said. This is John Spachanka. As I say, we're on with respect, Peter. When we broke, uh, we were beginning to talk about. You were you were talking about how everybody goes through this, this this searching, this uh, analyzing of their life or their plans for the future. All of this, you know, is kind of our way of trying to grapple with the great unknown there. As who is it? Was it Brendan Behan? Who who is said uh, "Rage against them? don't go quietly into the night"? Rage mm-hmm. against it. The
1: dying of the light. Tom, Dylan Thomas.
0: Dylan Thomas. There you go. And uh, so, in a sense, that's what this fellow is doing. He's just saying, "Excuse me, here are the bounds that other people are setting for me." Um, that's nice, and they're doing it out of love. Yeah. Uh, they're they're not they're not mean. They're not trying to grab my estate, whatever's left of it. They just Want me to be happy and safe, I think, was the word that you used. But I don't need to be safe at this point. I have things I've got to do. Yeah, so. he,
1: his children say, you know, he, he writes them a letter when he takes off, and in it he says, you're doing what you have to do, and, and you do have to do it. You're mm-hmm. my children. You want to make sure I'm safe. and But now I'm going to do what I, what I have to do, and that is to live and not to end up in a retirement home because I don't want to.
0: I've said this to my listeners repeatedly, but of the some 400 shows that we've done here on With Respect, I think of four people, four, only four out of 400, who started off at age six knowing what they wanted to do and going on a straight line to doing what they did, what made them quote, quote, successful. Those four people are the exception, and I've Maybe I didn't get to the bottom of their thinking. (laughs) Maybe they, in fact, also, were doing what the rest of us do, which is the zigzag. You go this way, something happens. You go that way, something happens. But there's down deep inside. And this character, Tom Johnson, reflects that better than any of the other uh, books that I've read. It reflects how the texture, the character of this individual is formed developed by the zigs and the zags Absolutely. in his life. So that, that's, I found that very interesting. And, and the part about having a lost love, sometimes the lost love is way back in time. Sometimes you never see that love again. Sometimes that love is separated from you by water, mountains, their marriage, your marriage, the other choices that you've made or she has made, and sometimes you have the chance to make that final touch. And we're I'm going to let the readers in your book of your book uh, figure out how this all fits together. But now, in is this the first book you've written?
1: No. It's my second novel. Okay. Um, I published the first, uh, which is called Travel Writing, mm-hmm. um, when I was 61 years old, mm-hmm. 2008. and. You're,
0: by the way, you're giving us all hope. All of us novice writers, the, the wannabe writers, who are much older than 61 when we start, uh, you're, you're giving us hope. This is good.
1: Well, yeah. I, and, and that's part of the story, in, in a sense. Uh, I uh, started this the other book travel writing because I had been asked to teach creative writing and I'd never done it although I've written all my life and mm-hmm. I write I do travel writing travel writing mm-hmm. for the Chicago Trib and have done that for 30 years as freelance spaces and and I've written uh, short stories and published them on uh, little magazines you know the kind no one ever reads mm. and and, <laughs> and uh, but um, I hadn't done any fiction lately I was doing travel stuff when I was asked to teach this in, you know, 1998 or something. And I thought, okay, well, I better write something over the summer. And I wrote uh, a short story that was based on an experience that I'd had, an automobile accident that I'd seen happen on Sheridan Road in uh, in Evanston. And, uh, and I liked it. So I said, well, I'm going to put that away until next summer because you can't, teach and write Mm too, and if I still like it I will continue it and what happened was that I uh, in the course of that year walking back and forth to the train uh, I kind of figured out uh, how the story would end so the next summer I I wrote the last 80 pages the first story became the first 20 pages of the novel and then I wrote the last 80 and then then I went back and filled it in so yeah I'm a late bloomer and if your readers are interested, there is a website called Bloom that's specifically about people who begin writing uh, when they're older.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Again, I come back to the point of the zig and the zag and say that in the course of this book, there are, there are many extraneous events and facts which you weave into uh, sort of a coherent... Pa- package. And I, I think about um, one of the one of my favorite books of all time is Doctor Zhivago by Pasternak. Yeah. And in that book, it, it first for the first time grabbed me. I would read other books before, but this one grabbed me as the interrelationship that we have with so many different people and events that carry on through our whole lives. And it just struck me because famous Russian novels are famous for an overabundance of people right. and <laughs> trying to figure out who they all are and how they're related. But Pasternak did it in such a, a readable fashion. Yeah. And so in this in this book again, I talked about the I call it data points, but um, different f- people and events that are tied in in fascinating ways, and it gets resolved toward it at, the, at the end. It fits together. So I I congratulate you on this book. So this book took how long to write?
1: About uh, seven years. Uh, That's how long my first one took, too. But that's, you know, the first draft takes a year. Mm -hmm. And then it's uh, drafting and drafting and drafting and revising and revising and revising and changing things as they go. Uh, So some some of the touches in this book were added uh, near the end of that process. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of of young writers don't realize, that that first draft is 10% of the work. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then you go on and on and on and on. It's all about refinement.
0: There was um, I've had a number of authors uh, with me on the show. One of the fellows um, said it took him his first book was 20 years to put together. And he was working on his second book, And I think it came out, it was about three years in the making. Mm -hmm. Another woman wrote a book. It took her 10 years to write. The second one took six. And then I said, well, all right, fine. Have you got a third book coming out? She said, yes, I've had to put this one out in two years because my editor's pushing me. So there is this, once you realize that you can do it, it's like getting into the pool for the first time. You find out you're not going to drown if you work at it. Uh, and at the end of the other end of the pool, somebody's going to pat you on the head and say, well done you, Peter, you did well.
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of truth to that, running a marathon. Yeah. You know.
0: So when you sit down to write a book, in this book, in this case, what prompted you to write it from this perspective? Was it just your own uh, grappling with getting older or, or somebody else or what, or your well, wife's cancer?
1: Um, yeah, all of that. And the two women, I, I, another thing, I read a survey about uh, the first survey I ever done about the sex lives of elderly people mm-hmm. a few years ago, and it had some very interesting findings. One is that they have sex lives, mm-hmm. because most of us think they don't. That's right. And uh, the second finding was that uh, the people in the survey, um, if, they, um, if they had a partner said that their sex lives were more... And sex was never defined. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't intercourse. Or, uh, it's just that term. If they had a partner, they were um, happier with their sex lives. Well, first of all, they had them. They were active, much mm-hmm. more so than anyone knew. And secondly, that they were happier with their sex lives than at the age of 75, than when they were 55 or 35. Mm-hmm. And I thought, jeez. And again, it's a matter of... You know, it's like John Prine's old song "Hello" in there. You know, you you look at people and you don't see them, and all of these things conspired to, and my own aging, and 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 my mom and uh, and Athene Magruder. I mean, so it's over a long period of time, beginning to see people differently and wanting to deal with the whole process because I am a late bloomer. I didn't write anything till I was I was sixty-one years old. I I like to tell the story that I, I worked with a guy named Walter Tevis, at Ohio University when I was a student, an undergrad, and he wrote The Hustler, which was made into oh, the yeah? Paul Newman and yeah. Jackie Gleason movie and a bunch of other things. and And he said to me one time, I I, I, I talked him into doing an in independent writing project. I think he was suspicious of my talents at the time, <laughs> but uh, he he said to me one late night we were sitting up talking. And he said, "Pete, you uh, you haven't much to say, but you say it very well." <laughs> and and I didn't have much to say, mm-hmm. and I don't think I really had much to say until I got to be sixty years old, and uh, and now I I think I do. So that's that's uh, where my That that's the story of my late blooming.
0: Well, you've said it it, well in an interesting way in this book, so I congratulate you on that. I will will toss in one sidelight. How many? I would ask everybody, you and everybody listening to this, how many times, if you were above the age of fifty, that your teenage children, or when you were a teenager, and you it finally hit you that having Children is a biological process. <laughs> we and, don't like to think And you think, "Oh, mom and dad did." Oh, oh, uh,
1: I don't want to talk about this. As a as a teacher, that would always that was instant uh, classroom full of ugs <laughs> when you brought that up. But the the only thing that is worse than children thinking about their parents having sex is parents thinking about their children having <laughs> sex. <laughs>
0: Well, that that is true. That is a, that is an interesting process. My my uh, mother uh, and my father used to say, "You know what? I'll never stop being your parent. So get over it." Yeah. <laughs> if you think I'm walking away, but you, I will t- mention this one thing: when when my father was eighty nine, he. And I, I received uh, a call, it gave me the opportunity to teach in the Czech Republic, teach in the Prague, in Prague about American law. Wow,
1: and, that's cool.
0: And when I got that, I went up to him and I said, Dad, uh, we were living together. Mom had died, and uh, I said, Dad, I've got to uh, got an opportunity to go over to Prague. Uh, is this uh, something that we can handle? Well, he was mobile; he could drive. And um, he said, sure, great, great, you know, you know go on over, enjoy yourself, you, the break will do you good, yada, yada, yada. I can take care of Duchess, which is our dog. So I started the plan, came home the next day, found out that by the, at the office that I could actually break this, break out of my practice for a, a couple of weeks and do this. I came back and he was sitting in his chair in the living room and he was staring had a pile of papers around him. I said, well, how was your day? And he said, he growled at me, he said, where's my passport? <laughs> I said, I said, "You're what?
1: "Oh, well, that's great.
0: And to make a long story short and bring it down into uh, to something tellable, uh, I said, you are thinking what I think you're thinking? <laughs> and I said, well, Dad, you don't have a passport anymore. It's expired. Number two, um, you know, you. we need to talk with your doctor to see if you can do this. So he went to his doctor, and the doctor said to me and to him the following, which I never forgot. It will, this trip, if he wants to take it, will reduce the quantity of his life, but improve the quality.
1: Oh, that's wonderful.
0: We got a passport in, in re- light speed. We got on the plane. He went over, and... He got a chance to do what he had always uh, wanted to do, which was to go to Prague and to see uh, the Shrine of the Infant Jesus of Prague, which is a big thing for him. He was 89 years old. And I could go on and on about this, but uh, a week later, after having participated in our seminar actively, um, he got on the bus to come home, and he went to sleep, and he died.
1: No kidding.
0: And all I could say to him after he... Had died, and I was in the bus with him alone because people left me alone. As I said, you had to go and do it, and leave me <laughs> with you here in Prague. <laughs> it actually, didn't put a no, but the, that, the, that's an amazing story. It is an amazing story, and I've since had interviewed an author who wrote a book about the intersection of death and life. Um, who that uh, in which people who are going to die sense it, and. Or there are, there are other events which occur around death and life that uh, she, a non-believer, uh, wrote about. And I'm not sure if she ever became a believer, but she certainly became aware of this, the mystery of life and death. Um, her comment was that people who die often know that they're going to die within uh-huh. a day or so. And this process is something which is a fulfillment of, of the life that they lived. And, you know, like yourself, your, your, uh, your characters, they lived good lives. They lived interesting lives. They got everything there was out of it. They could get out of it. We're going to take a break right now. We're talking to Peter Ferry, who is the author of Old Heart, uh, who will be signing books on the 17th of August in uh, St. Joseph at Forever Books.
1: About 6 o'clock.
0: About 6 o'clock. This is John Smotanka, and our program is With Respect, and we'll be right back. back on With Respect with Peter Ferry, the author of Old Heart, a book about a gentleman, a man who lived a great, interesting life. In some respects, you could say it's, I would. I think you might agree, uh, looked on the surface some, somewhat common.
1: Sure.
0: But all the texture was built into that life that made it, the, the, the part that is written about in the book, uh, in the uh, present and future tense. Uh, makes it all, makes sense, and seem exciting. So, this is John Smotanka. We're on With Respect. So, Peter, what's the next book that you're interested in writing? You've got to have another book.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the reward for publishing one is you get to write another. (laughs) And uh, I'm working on one called Snow Was General, which is a line taken from uh, James Joyce, and it's a mystery. I love mysteries, so I decided... I try to write one and I'm just kind of playing around with it, but it's growing and growing and it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, we've had a guest um, in the last year who wrote a series of, and is still writing a series of books about a young woman, young girl to start with the, the program, uh, the series, uh, who writes, who solves mysteries. And the way he described how he gets inspiration for this 10-part series, and he's now in finished book seven, is that his heroine talks to him and tells him what to write. Uh-huh. And I kept thinking, well, yeah, 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 right, right, right. No, 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 that's exactly right. He, I said, well, is is she alive somewhere? And he said, well, yeah, somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I talked to her. And I, I, it was kind of one of those woo 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 kind of experiences. But you take your inspiration whether it's mystery or this from what where does where does it come from
1: from my life you know i I'm, I'm a you know in in a, in a way writing is is the most selfish of endeavors cuz you get to think about yourself all mm-hmm. the time and you live in your own mind and and so it's very self-indulgent in a way <laughs> uh but yeah and just as i as I described, the, my first book was born of an experience I had, which was an automobile accident I witnessed that I might have stopped had I acted quickly enough, mm-hmm. might have prevented. And then uh, I didn't. I saw the accident, and the, the girl who was driving the car was, um, wasn't killed. She was, I watched as they took her away in the ambulance, but I thought, what if she had been? Uh, what would I feel? I, I, I might have done something and I didn't. And so it became a kind of moral dilemma that I discussed over glasses of wine for years and then finally wrote as a story and it became the basis of my novel. And And, and this one is, is, you know, all these experiences with aging that I've talked about uh, and, and thinking about my own and hoping that I can age as gracefully and with as much dignity as... Um, My character, and I'm not at all sure I can, you know, but kind of hoping.
0: What is what is what was it that uh, Jack Kennedy wrote or said, uh, quoting uh, Hemingway, about um, courage is grace under pressure, Mm -hmm. as I recall. Yeah, and and that's and that's that's interesting. Courage is grace grace under pressure. So you talk about your your. The, the hero's life, requires courage at 85 years old
1: oh, to yeah, I think so.
0: sell everything.
1: Maybe more than I have.
0: Maybe more than any of us have. It's, that's the, the writer gets a chance to create that yeah. world yeah. and in the process that's work exactly out their right. own issues. And But here's the important thing. It's because these experiences are common to human beings. You are at the same time while you're working out your issues... You're helping other people do the same because by reading a book like yours, the, the reader can struggle with their own questions of what if and and then to make the, every so often they make they get to make the decision which puts it all into resolution
1: yeah and, I, I think I, I think that's true. I think that every novel that with which you connect, is the connection is because the novel's about you. You know, I, I, if it's Boris Pasternak or Ernest Hemingway or, or, you know, I hope this book, I'm really writing about the reader, or the things that I have in common mm-hmm. with the reader, mm-hmm. the 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 basic human things, so that you can, you can write a you can read a book about Russia a hundred years ago, and. And connect with it. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Grace under pressure. I, I think that that's what my mom had. That's what impressed me so much about it. In the face of of knowing that she was dying, she just uh, embraced embraced mm-hmm. what life was left, and uh, and loved every minute of it.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember uh, the accident in our home that. Precipitated my mother's uh, last entry to a hospital was that she tripped and fell and broke her hip. Yeah, well, that's which exactly is a common, the same. Common thing. And I remember that when she first, my daughter first saw her and said, Hey, you better see, mom just, grandma just fell on the floor. And so I came in there. Now, she's broken a hip, and that's a very painful thing. And could, she couldn't get up, and she was very frustrated. And she was in her 90s at that point. And I remember her Her own, Her first line was, I didn't tie my shoelaces, I should have tied my shoelace. Had I not done that, and whether or not that's true or she just, right. her body just, her legs wouldn't hold her up, is irrelevant. But she was constantly thinking, her brain was functioning, her soul was functioning to the day she died, and the same thing with my father, and it was a great blessing. Their bodies tired out faster than their brains.
1: Exactly. Yeah, my... Uh I think that's exactly right
0: you you will the reader will find in this book something for all ages i e they're going to find something from tracking Tom Johnson's life, which is the central focus of this. but they're also going to find the other sorts of things which may be uh, truer in their lives, for example, how a daughter, granddaughter, niece, nephew, sees older people, sees and works out relationships and, and begins to realize the depth of their predecessors' uh, life. The same thing might be said to people who you thought were lost. You never saw it would see again. Absolutely. And I know, I, I can speak personally of of that, that People come back into your life that you never thought would ever happen, and it's it produces its own interesting uh, effects. But the point is that your life doesn't have to end at 70 or 80 or 90, right? Because the good Lord gives you the time to to play out the whole of your possibilities.
1: Yeah, that. Yeah, another main character is is Nora, his granddaughter. Right. And she's kind of the figure that I was, helping Athene Magruder on the ice that day, mm-hmm. young and impatient and and uh, not really seeing her grandfather. But they develop a relationship, and she becomes his confidant. And she, you were talking about the writer saying the heroine was speaking to him. Mm-hmm. Nora was not, she was a device for me when I began. Mm-hmm. She was the means by which he kept in communication with home, But she kept insisting on growing. And and I know that sounds a little woo but but she just kept asserting herself. And I finally realized this book is also about her. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I made her the narrator, but that was late in the game. She was there, and then I finally translated the whole story into her voice, because um, I couldn't ignore her. Mm -hmm. And she's really acted upon You know, there's that famous story about F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, who who wrote Gatsby, The Great Gatsby, without Nick Carraway, the narrator, the first time. And he took it to Maxwell Perkins at Scribner's, and Perkins said, you know, you have this big guy in this big house. You need a little guy in a little house sitting next door watching the big guy. And so he sent him home to St. Paul, Minnesota, (laughs) and he rewrote it with Nick Carraway. And Nick Carraway, in the end, is the main character.
0: And... An even more modern example of that same phenomenon is uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, yeah. In which the first book that Harper Lee wrote, which has just been published years after after To Kill a Mockingbird, was the book she originally wrote, or at least the starting of it, which she originally wrote, of Atticus Finch as an, an adult and scout as an adult. Yeah, 26 years old. 26 almost. years old. But, but the publisher said, ah, why don't you write this through the kids' eyes? And voila, we have one of the great pieces of American literature, I think, is To Kill a Mockingbird.
1: We do, but I'm not sure the other one doesn't have value, too. And, and um, you know, Atticus, as he exists, is a saintly figure mm-hmm. in To Kill a Mockingbird, almost superhuman, almost mythological. Mm-hmm. And that's a type of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a great one. One of my favorite in all, my, uh, all of literature, my grandson's name is Atticus. Mm. Um, but um, in this new thing, he's not saintly. He's not mythological. He's a human being. That's right.
0: Well, listen, on that note, we could talk about Atticus and, and Harper Lee and whatnot forever, but also about your book and books. Thank you very much for joining us. This is, unfortunately, we're out of time. This is John Smotanka. The name of our program is With Respect. And remember that if you show respect to other people, they will show respect to you.